Hey, hey, hey. Thanks for tuning in to More or Less. Today, I am joined by multi-platinum recording artist and songwriter Sam DeRosa. You may know Sam from NBC's Songland or as the songwriter behind hits for Lovely the Band, Dixie D'Amelio, Pentatonix, and many more. She recently released her second EP, The Good Parts, and I'm so excited for you all to get to know someone who truly has one of the biggest hearts in music, more or less. Season three of More or Less is sponsored by Neuro, enhancing your mind and body one piece at a time. Living in New York City, I spend way too much time and money on coffee and energy drinks, daily supplements, and then splurging on self-care products. Neuro creates supplements that fit your lifestyle instead of the other way around with nutrients that enhance your health and wellness to something intrinsically convenient, affordable, and portable. With thoughtfully curated ingredients and lab-approved integrity, Neuro has changed the caffeine game for me since the gum is delicious and the mints leave me feeling fresh and focused. Neuro is always by your side when you need it. Take my word for it and head to getneuro.com now. What's up? What's up? We are live here, more or less, season three with the lovely Sam DeRosa joining us today. Hi, I'm Sam DeRosa. Thanks for having me. I am from New York. I live in L.A. now and I am a singer, songwriter and artist living in L.A. full time. I've written songs for a lot of people. I'm now um, multi-platinum songwriter, Grammy nominated songwriter as of this year. And uh, I just put out an EP called The Good Parts. And yeah, I feel like that is, I'm so bad at doing the whole like talk about yourself, but that's, I guess the gist of (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I mean, we could talk about that in depth. Uh, And in this moment, how are you feeling more or less? More or less feeling really happy to be back in New York. Is that weird? Like I was walking down the streets and I put my little AirPods in and I was like, wow, there's something about being, I remembered being, I would go for auditions for like theater when I was a kid and I'd walk around the city and I just feel like it brought me back to so many memories. Like I'm connecting with my younger self, which I like. Well, I'm glad you're back. I'm glad you're here for the short time that we have together. But we always follow up with what is an emotion, a word, a feeling that you need more of and what is something that you need less of? Oof. I need more grace. I need less haste. We rhymed it, but that's true. It's really the truth. I have. I'm too Italian when I come home, and I have no patience for anything. So I want. I want more grace with myself for sure. And for anyone listening on audio, Sam and I both talk with our hands. Yeah, I'm already (laughs) check it out on YouTube to watch all of our hand motions. (laughs) But speaking of hands, you got engaged this year. Yes, which is amazing. Yeah. How does it feel? It feels completely completely the same as it did before, which I didn't think it would. And that's why I waited so long to get engaged. Funny enough. How many years were you together? We, when we got engaged, we've been together for seven years. We're now eight years. By the time we get married, we'll be together nine years. Oh my God. Nothing like a full decade of love. And he has been ready. And it was, wasn't, I think people misunderstand this where they're like, well, if it's, if he's the one or she's the one or whatever, you know, why don't you just go? And I think for me, marriage is like raising your rate as a producer or a Mm. voice teacher. And it was like, I wasn't ready yet to be in a position to not be really selfish and involve him in all decisions. And I felt like Sam, the person, I had things in my life I really wanted to check off box wise. Mm -hmm. And we had things in our relationship that I think we really had to iron out some kinks before we took that step of like, hey, no matter what, we're going to stay with each other no matter what. Even though we knew and felt that way, I think there's still that you could always leave, you know, and I don't want to leave when I marry somebody. I really want to work on that. So that was really important. And we 
basically just like spent the last two years of COVID being so happy with just us in an apartment that I was like, okay, we're never going to have this much time together again. And I'm not sick of you at all. We had so much fun. We like baked funfetti cake, got a little high, ate way too much pizza, played Mario Kart. Like I would have my session. He'd ride the Peloton. And I was like, I looked at him and I said, you know what? If you asked me to marry you, I'd say yes. And he goes, really? And I was like, really? He goes, oh my God, are you going to change your mind tomorrow? I go, no, I'm good. And then we got engaged and I had this fear that it would change things about us, about, I thought I couldn't write breakup songs anymore once I was engaged and it was, all of that is a lie. So being engaged is truly, it's the same. It's just, I think I'm more in love than I've ever felt in my life with him. Closer than I've ever felt, happier. It's so much fun. It is. Yeah. Highly recommend it. (laughs) Well, I am so happy for you. Thank you. Congratulations. You You deserve all that. Thank you so much. And for those listening, I've known Sam for a couple years now. We met right before the world ended. We were talking about it before we started (laughs) recording. Um, But this is the first time I've seen you since. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like we have so much ground to cover. But one of the things you said when I asked you about this engagement, you said other people we're wondering like, why don't we just do it? And the impressions of other people. When I think it's important to talk about a relationship is within those two people. And there's always gonna be outside noise and people putting their opinions on a relationship or friendship. Like whether you've been together a year, two months, (laughs) 10 years, like people are always gonna have something to say, but I think it takes two to tango and that's, you know, that's what you're doing when you're with someone that's who you're prioritizing and there's i love brene brown i'm a big fan of hers like love her more or less with brene brown i'm manifesting it yes brene come on girl yeah if you hear this somehow but she has this quote that i love have you ever heard her arena the quote about the arena yes yes yeah that if you're in the arena you can't take advice from people watching from the stands and i think about it my example is the guys in your hometown who like you know never made it to professional football but they yell at the screen every sunday and monday as if they could coach the team better or play better And it's just because you get so excited, but you don't know how hard it is to be out there doing it in that moment. We don't know why they missed that catch or what happened. And it's the same with my career. As much as I love my friends and family, I feel like because I'm the one who's actually doing it, sometimes I get a lot of advice and I have, and I take it because I feel so bad not listening. Mm -hmm. I have to learn how to just, you know, and the same happens with love. I was so influenced for so long by what everybody else said. And I do that a lot. I do that with my songwriting. If I think somebody doesn't like something, even my wedding dress, I went to like four stores because I care too much about what people think of me or of what I'm doing. And I'm really trying to tune that out. So getting engaged was a really fun moment because it was just us and I had no idea. And then by the time I said yes, our families were actually watching the whole time. And I didn't know. It's like he knew exactly how I would want it. And it was really cute. So And you got People Magazine to cover it. Yeah. Subtle flex. People Magazine DM'd me the next day and said, congrats, Queen. Can we get a quote? And I thought it was a joke because I I know some of the people that work there. So I knew who it was. I said, oh, you're so nice. That was sweet. You know, and they were like, no, we sent you an email. Fill out the questionnaire. And I was like, are you for real covering? And I had people like famous friends texting me. Hey, can you connect me with your PR person for my wedding? And I was like, oh, my gosh. No, I didn't. (gasps) I didn't promote my engagement. I did not. They DM'd me. But I still help my friends get into People Magazine because I'm a good friend you so are a good I got friend them in, but I did not I did not but like you did it PR. first yeah but I did it first no I just I did not pay PR that was really funny because everyone was like wow who's your publicist and I was like me like I I don't know <laughs> I don't know that's amazing <laughs> are they covering the wedding um they mentioned some interest in it but honestly i I don't know. I've been trying to think about if I just want it to be like a more low-key thing. I don't know. We'll see. You we'll got see. time. Yeah. Time. Yeah. And I mean, even it, the opinions of other people, you've lived in a ton of different places too. Yes, and that comes with a lot of different personalities. Mm. 
And I'm sure your partner has also been with you on that journey of moving. Like, mm-hmm. that's a big step in a relationship, either moving in together or moving to a different city. Yeah. Um, yep. I'm sure now y'all are talking about a house and all those yeah. wonderful things like that. Those are big things that at the end of the day, it's on the two of you. Yeah. When I was um, when I moved to L.A., I thought I would be there for a year just to see if it worked. And then I was like, and then I'll move back to New York because I, I love New York. I mean, I really can't stress that enough. He was in Boston bartending. And um, I remember a year to the day, no joke. My life is very cosmic. It's everything or nothing always. And so like I have to go to two events that are awesome at the same time or I'm like home with no bra, unshowered, dirty hair for like a week watching Netflix. Like it's nothing and then everything. And um, when I – a year to the day of moving to LA, I found out that I was getting the pub deal and Love of the yeah, Band yeah, song yeah. was going number one and I was like, oh, this is moving. And I called him and I said, I love you very much. I'm definitely not coming home. And I completely understand if after these four years together, that is too much on you. But I have to choose myself and I'm moving forward with this. And if you want to come join me in L.A., I'd love that so much. And if you can't, I will never hate you if you have to choose yourself because I'm choosing myself. Like I told him. And within like a couple months, he called me and he was like, I'm on my way. And I said, what? He said, yep, I'll be there in two weeks. And he said, I'm a bartender. I can bartend anywhere. So if this is where you need to be, you make me happy and I'll go. And he moved to L.A. And I remember that was such a moment where I was like, oh, man, this guy loves me. Like, I better I better not break his damn heart. So no more breakup songs were written about him. And I moved on. Was that scary, though, to put yourself first? Like, to make that phone call and say, what was even scarier was almost my career. Yeah. His reaction was even scarier because it just showed how much he really loved me. Right. And I think people don't want to talk about how hard love is or how much work it is. But I think that's my favorite part about love is the intricacy of it and unpacking things and being like, "Mm, I know you're doing that thing. And I know you enough to know. I know when you're lying. You do that thing with your eyebrow. Like, I just know (laughs) I love knowing people that deeply and to know that he knew me enough to kind of know that I wasn't coming back, that he was already getting his ducks in a row was really cool. And he came. So we're in LA now. And that's now. the beauty of love. Like love is... Those, are, those moments and these stories yeah. are what make it all worth it. Yep. And I still write the saddest song. So I'll get there. But I just... I don't know. I think love songs are cheesy. So I love heartbreak. And I, he gets it. Thank God. <laughs> I mean, you are the queen of heartbreak I, think, I don't songs. know about queen, but I'll take it. <laughs> You're queen in my heart. Hey, I'll take it. The good parts. I mean, most of that project is breakup songs. So yeah. how, how do you feel about, you know, channeling like angst in your work yet saying you're the happiest you've ever been in love I have been able to finally break this down I think there's like a dichotomy here that I talked to someone about recently because I was at this really fancy dinner and someone said I have to say you're one of the happiest perkiest most like fun people I've ever met um why are your songs the way they are because you seem like you're in a really good place. So how come your songs are? Mm. I said, well, I've come to the realization that artist Sam is four years behind person Sam. And I think it's my job to like hold the hand of my artist self as I navigate these songs. And it's because I truly can't for a long time. I couldn't go back to those places and write about them because it would ruin my week. When I get, I'm such an empath that mm-hmm. I things like follow me. And so when I was writing those breakup songs at a time where I wasn't ready to talk about them, I found myself that was bleeding into my life. My relationships, I was just like a miserable – can I curse on here? Yeah. Okay. Total miserable bitch. And I was like, why? And um, now that I have – I don't call him my anchor. My fiance is not my anchor because that feels like he weighs me down. I feel like he's a buoy. Like I can <laughs> hold on. Like I would yeah. – if, if the water's okay and the weather's nice, I could survive. Someone could find me. I could still right, wait. Right. And I feel like I have him to just kind of like keep me. So when I come home, there's that space. And my life is in a place now where I'm 
my career is in a beautiful place and I feel like I know I'm supposed to do this for a living. I'm able to live doing it and I have a safe space to go to after these really sad songs come out. So now that my life is happening in a way where Songland happened and all these breakup songs happened, I feel like I owe it to myself to finish those stories. Mm. So I'm kind of catching up and writing the book in hindsight. Interesting. Interesting. It's like a Steve Jobs quote. You can only connect the dots looking backwards. You never yeah. do it looking ahead. It's only Hindsight's when you get there. Hindsight's 2020. Right? Yeah. Jake hey. Wesley Rogers. I was just about to say Jake. <laughs> Hindsight's 2020. More or less with Jake. We're plugging Jake while I we're I love here. it. I love it. But with that, I mean, for those who don't know, and we'll go down the whole Songland journey, don't but there is Sam the songwriter and there is Sam the artist. Mm -hmm. And those have blended, I would say, over the years, even the years that I've known you, it's blended. Yeah. and. Do you feel in some of your work you're channeling the perspectives of other people instead of yourself because you were in a committed relationship? No, every song I have written has been about my own life. It's well, just case in point, I was gonna ask you, like, be happy. Like mm -hmm. for those that don't know, Dixie DeMillo's Be Happy yeah. is written by the one and only Sam DeRosa. It was about um, my life. Yeah. yeah. And what I guess why didn't you keep it for Sam the artist? I'm a big believer that if I write a song with my friends and it isn't already a scheduled, hey, this is a session for my project. I go in with an idea and I knew the song was special and I was having a day, but I knew that I, it needed to be written with some friends of mine who would help me take it there. Yeah. And once they got involved and it became something that wasn't only just mine, I always feel like I have this rule that I can't have an ego or be precious with my babies. My babies are my songs. Mm -hmm. And I always say, hey, if Beyonce wants it, that's my joke all the time. If Beyonce <laughs> wants it, you know, I'm not going to hold us back from a nice cut. I actually think you said that when we met I've, each Totally. Other I say room. it all the like, time. I Beyonce's my, I love her. But so I, that's always my joke is I want people to know that if they do write for me or with me and it winds up being a song that I love for my project, I believe that if it's meant to be, it'll always come back to me. And when we pitched Be Happy and I submitted it to Warner Chapel, they really liked it. And so a lot of labels were interested. And I said, all right, you know what? I'm not going to hold my friends back from food on their tables. If I can write this, I'll write more. And mm -hmm. so I wrote Sad Faces like a week later. And then I was like, okay, Sad Faces is mine. Let's pitch Be Happy. And then when um, Dixie wanted Be Happy, I just loved her story and why she wanted it. And it felt like as a songwriter, you can sing the songs for the rest of your life. You can perform yeah. them. You can probably put them out in a couple years if you really wanted to. And I remembered that. It was always, it's always still mine. So however, if it can live a bigger life and help people, that is the goal, I think, as a writer. Well, you even look at like Dolly Parton, I and Will I Always, always love, love You. you. I yep. mean, she didn't even know that this woman, Whitney Houston, had it right. and heard it on the radio and was like, oh my God. And that song has taken a life of its own. Yep. And I wonder what it would have been like if Dolly had kept it and didn't want to share it. And mm -hmm. it's just so interesting how that happens. When Dolly had her own version first, and that's what's so yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And most people, I was talking to someone, I think we were watching Dolly and Miley's special, and I was with someone who didn't know that it was Dolly's song. They only thought it was Whitney. And I'm sure like the younger generation too Insane. probably thinks that it's Whitney's song. And I think people get people sometimes get upset if somebody takes a song that sounds like someone, but I'm like, hey, hold on a minute. If this music that your parents listened to decades ago is being reactivated and rediscovered because of these newer artists that are influenced by that, isn't that awesome yeah like if so-and-so kind of sounds like prince how cool that we can show prince to a bunch of 10 year old kids and be like you need to hear the song kiss trust me you know i think yeah. that's i think that's cool but i wish more people covered other people's songs because that used to be a thing back in the day 
I love that. I love that you would have like, or even like, I'm talking like in the 50s, how you would have like many people singing the same song. Mm -hmm. I just think that was so cool that if you put a song out and somebody else loved it and wanted to sing it, you could, you know? The only time I feel like we see that now is holiday songs. Yes. Like holiday songs are still, there's all these iterations every single year. And it's really exciting as a person that loves music to see new versions that come out. um, Songs that have been around upwards of 100 years, Mm -hmm. maybe longer. But you're right. I don't. I feel like we don't get that as much yeah. anymore. Yeah. No, I do want to make a Christmas album, though. I'm planning to do that you soon. You absolutely should. I have a couple of originals, and I'm just like, like that. We wrote them for Christmas camps, pitches for other yeah, artists. Yeah. We did a Kelly Clarkson one for a while, and she was going through something very personal in her life, mm-hmm. and she was going through a really brutal divorce, and she decided to write her own album. That happens. But in the meantime, we spent all of July hoping she would take these songs, and I was like, you know what? Go, Kelly. Same, honestly. I'm going to yeah. see. If nobody wants these songs, I'll put them out. And I love that. It gave me like that freedom. And that's what's cool about being a writer is if you work with people who love and respect you to bring it back to the be happy thing, I think it's just you can't be too precious with songs. And I think you'll know if if something is just screaming at you, you know that it's something you need to keep. And with be happy, I felt like as much as it was about my life, I wanted to share that first before I decided to be selfish with it, you know? Yeah. Speaking of Kelly Clarkson, I was watching you on her show. On the Kelly like, Clarkson show. So cute. I cried when I hugged her. We had to take a break so I could like fix no, my I makeup. No, I know. I saw it you were like so hysterical. Funny. It was the yep. cutest thing though. That was so funny. I was so glad that they let me like take a beat because I love her. So to She's hug so her. Cool. She gives great hugs. She was so nice. So, you know, I'm walking out like Sandra Rosa, the artist on the Kelly Clarkson show. But I'm like, no, I'm Sam, the fangirl. Like, I don't know how <laughs> to separate the two. I, I want to make sure it's known that I do not take this lightly, you know. So I needed to like fix my makeup. It was so cute. They gave me like a second and then we started filming. <laughs> That's so precious. Yeah. Oh, my God. Everyone like pause this podcast and then go watch Sam. Yeah, go watch it. And then come back. And then come back. Um, so let's talk about Songland for a bit. I mean, I feel like that was probably your pinch me moment. Mm-hmm. And then kind of skyrocketed into the industry and then you know you've gone through ebbs and flows and now being independent I mean tell us tell us the good parts no pun intended (laughs) the the not so good parts yeah I think um I think people shit on tv shows and I don't think that they should um but I do want it to be known that I didn't audition for Songland I went to a meeting with an A&R at Interscope Records. Just like when you're a writer, you meet people and you set up meetings. And the meetings are just like, hey, can I come in and say hi and play a couple songs? And if you like what you hear, maybe you can keep me in mind and tell me if one of your artists is looking and I can write for that and send it into you. It's like trying to form those relationships to place a record. And so I knew that I was really trying to write for Selena Gomez and I had all these songs that I thought were perfect for her. I love her. And um, on this playlist was my song Pill for This. And... We hadn't even listened to music yet. The A&R looked at me from across the room and she just goes, you are so funny and animated. I go, really? She goes, yeah, you should be on TV. And I go, oh my God, like Riverdale? Because I was like, (laughs) yeah. And I was an actress when I was a kid. That's always what I I thought I was going to be like a Broadway girl Mm -hmm. until Broadway broke my heart and I started writing songs. That's how I started. Played my little piano and I was like, fuck you, Broadway. I'm going to write these breakup songs about you, you know. And um. So I was like, oh, you're so funny. She was like, no, I mean like American Idol, the voice, like you should sing. And I was like, oh, no. I said, no, 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 no. And I was really against it. And so we left the meeting. I thought she was just kidding, but her friend was casting Songland. So she sent her friend, totally unknown to me. I was sent um, like a, I got a phone call. She sent the email of my information, all my songs. And someone called me and they said, hey, I'm from Songland, I'm casting. And I said, oh, I don't know how you got this number. And I hung up on them. And I was in Nashville and I was like, no. And then um, they called again 
And I said, I'm really sorry. I don't know how you got this number, but I have been through the ringer with television shows yeah. and I've gotten so close just to get my heart broken. And I really mean this respectfully, but I am not interested in winning another career. Like I want to earn it. And so I'm going to politely decline. And then my manager at the time, who was just my friend from college, they called him and he was like, Sam, can you just answer the fucking phone? Can you just talk to these people? And I was like, did you do this? You're fired. Like I'm joking with him. I'm like, did you do this? And he was like, no. So I get on the phone with them and they say, okay, please no, this is not like those other shows. We're not going to embarrass you. They called it like I think she made a joke and said Shark Tank for songwriters. And it was literally filmed in the same room as Shark Tank, funny enough. Oh, get but out. The, yeah, and the idea is, you know, you pitch a song and they just tell you if it works or not for this specific person. It's not about how good or bad you are. Yeah. There's no time to embarrass you. And I liked the idea of that. So I said, all right, you know what? And in my head, I still said, eh, this could go nowhere. It's a pilot. So I filmed the pilot and then the pilot exploded. NBC, like, put all the money into it. And then we got called that it was going to go and do its thing. And then we were supposed to be the first episode, but they moved us to the end because they said that the magic of that episode was so awesome that they actually wanted to wait until more people were invested in the show, which was so cool. How so, did that make you feel? Um, really special. I felt that that year of my life is definitely still one of my favorites. And I don't ever think that like a past year is the best year of my life. I really try to like find the good in the next ones to come. But I, they asked us to come to The Voice to film something and uh, just to like watch the show because NBC was like mm -hmm. being cool to the Songland cast. And someone came up to me and was like, hey, I work with Adam Levine and he's an executive producer on the show and he heard your song. I know exactly who you are. We like saw your Instagram. We wow. love your songs. You're so talented. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know who I am? Like, but also someone whose music I love knows who I am. Right. And I remember there's also, you have to pinch yourself a little too and come down from cloud nine because it's not like Adam Levine hit me up and said, hey, come right with Maroon yeah. 5. That didn't happen. I was just perfect for the show and that's okay. But from that, everything went crazy because right around there, Broken went number one, the song I had written with Lovely the Band. And um, I started getting noticed as an artist and that's truly all I've ever wanted but I love songwriting so much that I don't ever want to be told I can't do both I love doing it so much you know and I love writing with other people so I was so afraid when Songland happened that I would you know cement myself as not wanting to ever write with other people again and I love it and it didn't it actually helped me do both so it, it really changed my life I mean outside looking in it looked like Songland was where all your stars kind of aligned. Yeah. I mean, the episode was with Charlie Puth, who was your classmate, right? And I thought it was going to be Maroon 5. Because initially... So wild. When, when they filmed the pilot, this is what's so crazy. When they filmed the pilot, because they didn't know if they were going to have an artist ready, they were going to just have Maroon 5 come, and he wasn't going to be a part of the process, mm -hmm. Adam being the singer. And they were just going to have a bunch of people pitch. And then I guess, you know, his wife was pregnant, something happened, and last minute, the day before we filmed, they said, by the way, your artist is Charlie Puth. And I said, oh, I'm, I can't do the show. And I got really nervous. I get so I get so nervous about getting in trouble, you know? Yeah. And they were like, why? And I said, we went to college together. And I only had a few classes with him. I don't even think he remembered me, but I did not come this far to be embarrassed on TV and for him to tell me I'm not good enough. For some reason, I thought he was going to like not like me. And I really thought that. I said, I, and I don't want it to be. And if, I, if it goes well, then they're going to think that I knew him. And I just, I can't know. And they were like, okay, how about this? We're not telling him anything about you. We won't even ask. You're just going to walk in there. And if he recognizes you, he recognizes you. And if he doesn't, he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I walked in and he just goes, I know you. And that was it. 
And what they didn't show on camera was he hyped me up like the cure for freaking cancer. I mean, he was so <gasps> Jersey nice. boy. <laughs> I have to say, I have to thank Charlie for that because he was so nice. He told them, he remembered how I raised money after the Boston bombings and tried to like raise money for victims. He remembered that I was his waitress a few times because yeah. there were a lot of rich kids at Berkeley and I was not one of them. Right, right. And so the fact that they used to come in for brunch and like always tip me and take care of me and they remembered that and he remembered that we had class together and he was just such a nice kid that when I sang my song, he cried. And they didn't show that part. They only showed him cry at the end. But he he cried a lot. <laughs> and he said, he said, I can't believe I'm sitting in this chair staring at you on the other side. And I think about how we're no different. But for some reason, I'm on this side and you're on that side. And I just, you deserve to be on in this chair. And he started crying. And he said, and you're willing to give me a song so personal. And I just want to thank you for that. And then Esther was like, will you go hug this girl? And she smacked him like, get up there. And he hugged me and he gave such such a big squeeze of a hug. And then I cried. I said, thank you so much. What a full circle. Yeah, it was really cool. I I really care about him. I hope he's doing well wherever in the world he is. He's great. But even even with that, you didn't want to go on any more TV shows anyway. No. Like, you were done with it. No. Yeah. This one comes along. It just so happens that you're into it. You're willing to shoot your shot for the pilot of all mm -hmm. things. And then it turns out that your old classmate is the person you're pitching to. Insane. Like, it just feels, I believe, in the universe and that it works in mm -hmm. mysterious ways. That felt like, you know, you said you didn't want to win a career. You wanted to earn it. And that full circle moment shows that you worked your ass off. You moved to L.A. from Boston, New York, East yeah. Coast to West Coast. And you ended up there. And <laughs> as you should be on The Kelly Clarkson Show, as you should have your moment. Thank you. And continuing to have your moment. Yeah. Because you're <laughs> yeah. killing it. Thank you. My favorite part of that, I have to say, is Ryan Tedder. He um he asked me, he said, I'm so confused. You went to school, Charlie, in Boston. You're here in L.A. You're from New York. Where are you? And I explained everything. I said, well, I was too broke to move to L.A. So I did these cover gigs at a place called Mastro's. And they promised me that if I opened up the Boston location, I could move to L.A. And they'd give me a job there. But I had to stay for a year in New York. And I remember thinking it was the worst year of my life. But I wrote the Lovely the Band song with the lead singer of the band that year. Yeah. And then I got to L.A., had a bunch of A&R meetings. They said I should go on Songland. And here I am. And I gave him the whole runaround. And then Ryan goes, I'm going to stop you right there. And I want you to remember this. You have no control. And anyone listening, please listen to this. You have no control over who knows who, who was born where, who has what. You cannot control any of that. Who has more money? Nothing. The only thing you can control in whatever you do in life is the work that you put in. And so long as every day you wake up, he said, when you were waiting those tables, when you were bartending, when you were singing those gigs, that had a purpose. Your intention was always, this is for XXX thing. And he said, you have no, that's the only thing you can control is the work that you put in. You cannot control anything else. And he said, and so I have to say, you're standing here with us today, aren't you? And is that not the kid you went to school with? And I was like, yeah. He goes, so it looks like you could control something, huh? And I remember getting so, I was like, I hadn't even sang yet. And I was like, guys, I'm not going to get through this song. And that's when Esther made the joke with the, you, Charlie, why didn't you date her in college? Are you married? And I was like, oh no. And then I accidentally told all of America about my breakup. And then Pill for This was sung and it became this moment. And I just, I wish I could, that was like bottling lightning that day because it was so completely unscripted and unfiltered. I was in that room for like an hour and they only could show a quick bit, but all of those people I still connect with. I saw Ryan play with One Republic in Nashville. We talked. I saw Esther randomly in a recording studio. She always is so nice. And I, I saw Shane McAnally when I was in Nashville a couple years ago. We don't work together anymore, but I wish him so much love. And um, I haven't seen Charlie, but when Songland first happened, he texted me. And yeah. he was like, I rarely have ideas that work. And I can't believe that this worked. I knew if I said no to your song, 
that my fans would get so damn mad at me that they'd follow you that and help you. you yeah. And he said, please don't take this lightly. Please make an EP. Please put out songs, make good music and good luck. And I was like, thank you. It was just really cool. So nice. That's so, so that's cool. what I'm doing. I'm just going to keep trying. Rinse and repeat is what I call it. <laughs> I, I've talked about it on the show and I've talked about it on panels, but the quote that hangs up in my room is a lyric from Hamilton and it's, mm. I am the one thing in life I can control. Oof. I am inimitable. I am an original. And I wake up and I have that quote on my wall, really my mirror, because mm -hmm. I feel like with COVID and quarantine and collective trauma that we've all experienced, mm -hmm. uh, the only thing you can control is yourself. Like, and I'm learning And the that. amount of work you put in. Yep. And that's what Ryan said all those years ago. And I didn't realize that's a quote that he kind of created in his head so that he would stay focused. And now he shares it with people. And it's just something I live by. Because in reality, even though he he said it and put it in such a beautiful way and made it a sentence, the only thing you can control is the work you put in, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. Really, we've been saying that to ourselves our whole lives. We just needed someone to you kind of Tetris and put the it. words together. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's on my mirror. I love that. I love <laughs> that you I live forget, by that too. Yeah. I think that's so cool. I, I think we have to in mm -hmm. this life. Um, too many things are happening externally and around us. And yes. I'm living in New York. Um, mm -hmm. It's high stakes, hustle yeah. energy. <sighs> the music business is tough yes. business. It's fast paced. Yes. And oh, is uh, all we have in this life is ourselves. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's that just goes to show like and you're yeah. proof of it i'm proof of it we're here Thank we're in this you. cool studio um so cool. so chatting but one of the things you said speaking of quotes one of the things you said you said your life has been a series of open doors but it's tiny windows that you yeah. found a way i said through. that on the kelly show you yeah did. and then kelly search sam kelly you're so funny kelly said i needed to write a song about that and that's the only reason i remember saying that because i have truly i know so many people i know everyone struggles this is not to say that people don't but i know so many people that have had like they met a manager who loved them who put them in rooms with all these amazing artists and they wrote and they have this, this amazing career and I'm sure they still have hardships but I'm like oh my gosh why am I not finding these why am I finding these like no one no one loves me no one wants to stick around in my personal life and my music life like why me and then I was like okay stop that door's closed. We're going to find another one. Okay, that door's closed. So I started making a joke. I'm going to find the window. And that was just became a joke that I made for myself. Okay, that door's shut, but there's got to be a window. And that was a joke that I made on the show of my life has been a series of closed doors and myself having to find the window. And I always do. And I've learned that the narrative of my career has been like the hustle struggle, but my life resume is so lit because yeah. of that. I love yeah. that word sometimes, lit. lit. But it is. Like I think about the the true Hollywood story that I hope someday if my career continues to go cool, I could tell. And how boring would it be if it was like, well, I was born and, you know, I just like never really had to work. I was so thankful for everything my parents gave me and I met this one person who changed my life and – and here we are. And by the way, I love uh, the Beatles. Like, I just feel like that would be so lame. Yeah. But if it's like, hey, this was hard. This is still so hard. And I am proof that you can do it. Because if it was hard for me and I'm here, I want people to know that and to see that and to be inspired by that. And I've learned that my favorite stories are the struggle stories. Yeah. Not even just in music, in people. When I see someone who's like so animated and beautiful at a party, I'm drawn to them. Not because they're beautiful and animated. Because I'm like... Something about you made you this way. What made you so happy and strong? Because you're choosing that. What makes you choose happiness daily? I want that. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is what it is. It's what you said. What can you control yourself? With the the window quote, because I love that. The other thing, Remy, I was going to bring up, which is your one of your favorite books, is The Third Door. Mm. You know, There's a book about this? Heck yeah, there is. It's about, you know, people talk about the front door to getting what you want, the <laughs> back door to getting what you want. 
And then the third door, which is the untraditional work your ass off. You're going to find a way hell or high water. That's the Sam DeRosa door. I'm just going to put put a little star with my name on that one because that's been my whole life. We'll we'll add that to the book club, more or less book club. I love more or less. There needs to be there needs to be a more or less book club. You heard it here first. I absolutely love that. More or less book club. Sam will pick the first book. Yeah, (laughs) I love it. But yeah, it's it's all about that. And everything to that point is super powerful. And it's what we're all trying to do in this life is find happiness and what that means so for you how do you define happiness there's the song be happy obviously but how did you define happiness when you wrote it or maybe when you were on the high of songland Mm -hmm. versus how do you define it now January I think I used to think that happiness was when I got x when I got to this when I had this I thought it was like oh once my ex-boyfriend hears you know this song on the radio and finds out I wrote it then I'll be happy. This money in my bank account will make me happy. And then it didn't. And I was actually worse than I was before, which is why I wrote that song. And I think now happiness is being completely content with exactly where I am in my life, the things that I have, the people in my life. And I think happiness is having goals and dreams and things to strive for without feeling like they would define me if I got them. Because Mm -hmm. if I'm not happy right now, no matter where I go, that will not change. And I've learned that because I've had everything, so to speak, that I've wanted in those moments. And I've been like, why does this not feel any different? And it's because the work starts when you have nothing. It's the, and that's what manifesting is. It's, hey, I really, really want it to be beautiful weather on my wedding day, but I've completely decided that even if it rains, it doesn't matter because I'm happy. And then, but I'm picturing this day and it's beautiful and it's sunshine, but no matter the outcome, I'm still happy with where I am. And that, to me, that's when you know that you can choose happiness when you learn how to properly manifest it, it's just like, okay, yeah, I'm happy now. And then anything else is just a bonus. That is happiness to me. I love that. I I love the word content, especially because yeah. I think, you know, for me, and this is like a personal anecdote, but when I was little, people ask you what you want to be when you grow up. And probably when I was 11 or 12, I started saying I want to be happy. My depression like started Lennon. when I was, yeah. And He's I like, it started when I was younger and I just like would write in a journal and I would talk about like, wanting to just feel happy and Mm. find success and whatever that meant. And I think as I've gotten older now in my 20s, it's really I want to be content. I want to be satisfied. I want to feel fulfilled in whatever shape or form that comes in, whatever the universe decides to bring me. I'm very much an empath as well. So keeping my feelings in check. But at the end of the day, I can wake up feel good and I can go to bed and know that it may not have been the best day or something shitty might happen and I can still feel content like you're saying on the wedding day with the rain like you're still with the person you love and that's all that matters and you know John Mayer had said this because everybody's like what do you mean you're just happy where you are now then you have no dreams that's not what it is John Mayer I love him so much but he, he had a quote once where he said I don't fear contentment. I don't, I fear complacency. That's the Mm. difference. The idea that I'm happy where I am now and I don't want anything else. My biggest fear is the same as his, which is that the idea that you wake up one day and you have nothing else to dream for, go for, that is not it. But being happy with where you are right now and knowing that even if those things didn't happen, you would still be happy with what you have. To me, that's happiness. And I love that. So I'm, I want to always learn to just like find the gratitude in where I am and anything else would be a bonus. And I'm going to keep reaching. As you should. Mm-hmm. Thanks, And girl. we're going to end on what is a lyric or a word of affirmation? I know we addressed it a lot in this episode, mm-hmm. but what is the one lyric that you come back to that keeps you moving forward? Oof. Um, I don't know. That's hard. I actually don't know. I don't think I could even on the spot pinpoint something, but... What is I, one of your lyrics that keeps you going? 
one of my lyrics that keeps me going. Wow, I wish I could think of something and I really don't. Oh, you know what? I will. I will say uh, sometimes it's better just to surrender because I think people think that surrendering means giving up and it doesn't always. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes it's really brave to put your hands up and say, all right, this is in somebody else's hands or the bravest thing I could do right now is walk away. That's what's best. So I would say that. It's from my song, Surrender. That's on the Good Parts EP. Which everyone should go stream right now. <laughs> Once you're done with this episode, go on little Spotify, little Apple, and go stream all of Sam's music because she's amazing. Thank you. Sam, thank you for being here. Thanks for I appreciate you so much. This was so fun. This was fun. This was I feel amazing. like I could talk to you for two more hours, so I'm glad we're more or less. Hashtag less. Oh my God. <laughs> more or less with Jess.